Welcome to In Search of the Mind of God. We invite you to search with us the mind of God. When searching His Word, we can always be sure of our salvation will not be used on man's ideas or false feelings. It will never be our purpose to promote any denominational doctrine of any religious group. Man is fallible. God is not. This program is brought to you by the Port St. Lucie Church of Christ. We are located at 384 East Midway Road here in White City, Florida. This program contains previous recordings from Joe Wilson, who graduated from this life in 2018. We invite you to join us for worship. Personal Bible study is available, and we propose to know nothing among you, save Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Ecclesiastes 8, 9 through 17. All this I've seen. And I applied my heart unto every good work that is done under the sun. Solomon was sitting back and looking and saying, I've looked at all this. I've tried to figure it out. I've tried to make it make sense that there is a time wherein one man ruleth over another. To the ruler's own hurt or there's a time when man ruleth over another to the hurt of the individual over whom he rules now is that not a lot of times what you see in the world today and a lot of people turn back and look and say well how does this have anything to do with a God of love there are people that rule over you that are to your detriment or there are those over whom one is ruled that does not benefit the ruler. And as this is true, Solomon said, verse 10, And so I saw the wicked buried, who had come and gone from the place of the holy. And they were forgotten in the city where they had so done. And this was vanity. The wicked who had ruled over those who had ruled not for the benefit of them over whom they had ruled were buried. And as I saw Solomon said them buried, I saw them come from the place where there was holiness. I saw them come from where there were good tidings of God's love. I recognized that they had been in a place where they might have known the Lord and his plan. But as they were buried, they were forgotten in the city where they had so done. Where they had ruled over a man after his own hurt, or whether those over whom they had ruled had been harmed by they whom they ruled. It was not the case you say, how is the difference? Well, one is that a person sometimes does what other people want instead of what they are commanded to do, and it is to the harm and to the hurt of the individual who does the ruling to appease those other than God that they rule over. And in another sense, there are those who have not the capability or the comprehension or the ability to rule, and therefore they legislate and put rules and regulations in place 
which harm individuals that have been placed. And they ruled over the holy. Or they went from the place of the holy. Or for the residence. But soon they were forgotten. And the city where this was done, nobody remembered them. And what was this, Paul, uh, Solomon said? Emptiness. Vanity. It just turned out to be nothing. Life seemed unfair. But because sentence against an evil work is not executed speedily, therefore the heart of the sons of men is fully set in them to do evil. Now the truth of the matter is if the execution of the sentence was carried out speedily, then the heart of the son of men, a man who desired to do evil, would not be so prone to do that evil. But since they know it's going to be carried on and lingered out, the execution not be brought about speedily, they are fully set in their, they're going to thinking they get away with it. They think that nobody's going to penalize them. But though a sinner do evil a hundred times, and his days be prolonged. Yet surely I know that it shall be well with them that fear God, which fear before him. When the evil have decided to do evil, and when they think they can get away with it, and there's no opportunity for them to be punished for what they have done, they died. And when they died, they were forgotten. When they were forgotten, the evil things that they did brought no justification for the joy that they received in their evil means or passions. But the righteous were those who, because they obeyed God and executed his commands, were, even though it looked like they were not blessed on this earth, were evidentially or, or uh, was evidently understood to be those who won in life's game. Though a sinner do evil a hundred times, and his days be prolonged, yet surely I know that it will be well with him because he feared God. But it shall not be well with the wicked. We, neither shall he prolong his days, which are, a are as a shadow, because he feareth not before God. Now there's something here <coughs> that is mentioned that a lot of people overlook. The prolonging of days. There are people who are very quick to tell you that God has cheated somebody because those that they know shortened their lives or their life was taken in a short period of time and then there are those that are always cognizant of the fact when somebody lives a long time, it seems that their days have been prolonged or God has blessed them. And so the truth of the matter is that this involves itself in the providence of God. The righteous are they who are going to have their days prolonged. God will bless them. And they will have just a better life. Their health will be better. Their strength will be better. Their family life will be better. There's just all of these things that come along with what is done by being good 
and obeying God. But the evil, verse 13, it shall not be well with the wicked, neither shall he prolong his days, for his days are just as a shadow, because he fears not before God. His days are not real. His days are not valuable. His days are not something that will be to his benefit. Because he didn't fear God and keep his commandments. So Solomon says there is a vanity which is done upon the earth. That there be just men unto whom it happened according to the work of the wicked. Again there be wicked men to whom it happened according to the work of the righteous. And Solomon said I just don't understand that. In other words there are righteous men who are going to be treated as though they were wicked. They're going to have a short life. They're going to be enamored with problems and distresses that come about because of evilness and disobedience. And then there are those wicked men who are going to be prolonged in life and treated as though they were righteous. And Solomon said, I don't understand this or understand why. So in verse 15, I commended myself to one thing, happiness. In all the problems that you have in life, there's one thing that you can always be a part of, mirth, happiness, joy in your heart. I commended those, myself included, who had mirth because a man hath no better thing under the sun than to eat and to drink and to be merry. For that shall abide with him of his labor the days of his life, which God giveth him under the sun. Now the problem comes about when people think that because they serve God, they automatically have a special tenure of existence. They think that there are things that take place in this world that God has had something to do with, when in act, in fact, there are things that take place that have just happened. <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> that the, these people <coughs> participated in. And we need to be able to make the distinction between the two. God's general providence extends to the natural world. It extends to the animal kingdom. And it extends to man's affairs in general. But when we're talking about the providence of God and how it relates to his children and how he sees in special providence the blessings that he has for his children, there are things that may happen that are accidental or coincidental. And because they may be coincidental, it may not be something from God at all. So you can't always mark it. And say, he's a righteous man, therefore he's going to live longer. Or that he's an unrighteous man, and therefore his life is going to be shortened. If you give credit to God or blame for things that are done that are good or that are bad in life, it may be that that is something that God has had nothing to do with. Because as we've studied, and we want to keep reminding you that when we talk about the special promises that God has given us in providence, 
we're talking about those things that God allows we who are his children to have that will aid and strengthen the cause of Christ in our days. We must pray, but then we work. We must work, and then we pray. And we ask that the Lord bless us and help us in the evidence that is ours to know that his will is done in our lives. But only as we need to interpret what happens as an indication of God's judgment can we see what has happened to be that which experience has not rendered the wicked. I've seen a lot of people that are wicked. I know a lot of people that spend all their time drinking beer and running with women and involved in dope and all those things that they're involved with in the sexual profligacies. And these people are not really happy. They profane happiness. They drink themselves into oblivion. They want to act as though that their experience in life is one of joy and it's bubbling over. But really, when you look down in your, their hearts and look in their eyes, you'll see something that's empty, something that does not cause them to have joy. Now, it's not that bad things don't happen to the righteous, and that's what Solomon is talking about, but it's just that God has been able to give we who are children of God the idea that if bad things do happen, there's a joy that is in that evil that will allow us to overlook the sadness of heart that those which do not have God can never attain. Ah, oh, look at the study of Job. If there was anybody that ever had problems, it was Job. And when Job was being tried and tested by Satan to try to get him to turn against God, Job was one who had a peace and a resignance of mind that would not allow him to throw up his hands in despair and curse God and die. There was something that Job had as a part of his conscience and his stability that allowed him to know that had he been a servant of God, these things would not be that which God would pay him in respect to that which he received. So it didn't make sense what Job was going through as to what God had given him. And because it didn't make sense, Job was never dissatisfied with the God that he was serving for he knew that God had been the giver of everything that he had that was good. And if now something had come his way that wasn't good, it might be good for Job not to have that which he had one time possessed. And so the mirth and the joy in his heart was that God still loved him and that he was still in the hand of God. We cannot always be certain whether or not something that happens to us is providential. But we can always be certain that if things do happen to this and to us and they're according to the will of God, it will always be to our benefit, not to our detriment. We can easily mis misread what happens. 
And sometimes in misreading it, we can get ourselves in the doldrums and get ourselves in a position that we don't need to be. But if we literally and actually believe in the providence of God for his children, we'll never get to the place where we're so down and out that we despair of life and want to end that life in which this misery abounds. So we got to appreciate <coughs> the very fact that the providence of God allows us to have a sanity that the world and Satan do not possess. They just don't have the joy. They just don't believe that there is someone that is involved with them that's going to do the best that can be done for them in every situation. And when this is true, they despair and go into consternation and sadness. And I'll give you a couple of examples and we'll go through those tonight because I think this is something that we need to understand to see how the wonders that God wrought, although they couldn't be seen because they were not miracles, they were providence, how that these people never quite understood but then quite did understand and therefore did not leave the presence of God or the joy that he had placed in their life. There was a little girl in the book of Esther. Esther's a story of a young girl who had lost her mom and daddy. Her uncle, Mordecai, had really raised her. And one day, Ahasuerus, who was the wife of uh, the queen, of the king, decided she wouldn't obey her husband in all of these incidences that he commanded her. And therefore, he put her up and put her in a tower and hid her away, and no man was to ever see her again. You say, well, what's that got to do with this little girl who didn't have a mom and a daddy? who was raised by a man who was her uncle. Well, of course, when they put her up, the king had to have a new queen. And so they sent the word throughout all the realm, and they looked to choose a new king, I mean queen for the king. They got women from everybody because he was a king of kings. They got all kind of women from all kind of places, and they put him through a period of trial and testing and purification that was consistent with not only medicine, but also consistent with logic. They just didn't want to throw the king into the bed with somebody that would kill him with disease. And they didn't want to put him in a position to where he'd be contaminated to the fact that he couldn't recover. So in all this exercise of trial, Esther became the one who was chosen by God to become the next queen. Now somebody said, well, that's a real good story, and it sounds like something I'd be interested in. Well, if you've not completed the story, you don't know how that she would know it was from God. You see, as the events took place, Mordecai, had an enemy. And the enemy's name was Haman. Haman was one of these high-minded, with his nose in the eyes, uh, sky, and hated the Jew because he would find 
that when he would walk by the Jew, they wouldn't bow down to him. And so Haman decided he was going to obliterate the Jews from the kingdom of Darius and throw them out of the world. So there came a day when Haman, as he was being exalted to the glory of the world, was invited into the king's house and introduced to the new queen. And when she saw the enemy of God in her presence, she went to Mordecai. And Mordecai told her that he and she had better do everything that she could to salvage her people Israel. Well, she said, what have I got to do with my people Israel? I have just now gotten to a place that I could be in a position of joy and happiness and comfort. I want you to read a verse of scripture with me. Turn with me to the book of Esther, if you will. I want to read the fourth chapter and the 14th verse with you because it has everything to do with you and I. Mordecai asked for Esther's help. Mordecai had perceived that Haman and had known that Haman was going to try to kill all the Jews. So in verse 8 of Esther 4, the Bible says also he gave him the copy of the writing of the decree that was given to Shushan, at Shushan, to destroy the Jew, to show it unto Esther and to declare it unto her and to charge her that she should go in unto the king to make supplication unto him and to make request before him for her people. And Hatach came and told Esther the words of Mordecai. Again Esther spake unto Hatach and gave him commandment unto Mordecai. All the king's servants and the people of the king's providences do know that whosoever, whether man or woman, shall come in unto the king in the inner court who is not called, there is one law of his to put him to death, except such to whom the king shall hold out the golden scepter, that he may live. And I have not been called to come into the king after, uh, for about 30 days. And they told Mordecai Esther's words. Now Esther had an excuse. I just can't run in there and talk to the king. I mean, I'm the queen. But don't you know that the rule is that if I go into him and have not been invited in and he doesn't hold out the golden scepter to me, I'll be killed? Your only means of help is now going to be destroyed? Then verse 13, and I think this is really what we need to talk about. Then Mordecai commanded to answer Esther, Think not with thyself that thou'll escape in the king's house more than all the other Jews. Look, if he's going to kill all the Jews, don't think you're going to be saved. Don't think by you protecting yourself, you're going to be the one that'll get by. You may turn your head and look the other way as Haman's destroying the Jews, and don't think for a minute he'll not get you. But look at verse 14. If thou altogether holdest thy peace at this time, then shall their enlargement and deliverance arise to the Jews from another place. But thou and thy father's house shall be destroyed. And here's the big question. And who knoweth whether thou art come to the kingdom for such a time as this? 
there's a lot of times that we wonder whether or not we ought to talk to people about the gospel. And we'll say automatically, well, they don't want to hear it. Or they've not requested us to talk to them about it. And yet we have on our hearts the burning desire to tell them the story of Jesus. And if we don't tell them, we think that we'll continue to be their friends. We think that we'll be continuing to be their associates and children of God. But as the story of Esther is told, we see that through the providence of God, his will must be done. His message must be preached. And if we think it will save us by not preaching the message to those who don't want to hear it, Mordecai reminds her as a servant of God, think one thing. It won't save you. It'll destroy you and your father's house. But God will save his people. He is going to bring a salvation to his people, Israel. And if it's not you, he's going to bring somebody else. And if he brings somebody else, then what you have in coming to the throne as the queen will be destroyed. And by the way, he said, uh, have you not given it a thought that it might be the reason that you came to the throne for such a time as this? Then Esther bade them return, Mordecai, this answer. Go, gather together all the Jews that are present in Shushan, and fast ye for me, and neither eat nor drink three days, night or day. I also and my maidens will fast likewise, and so will I go in unto the king, which is according to the law. And if I perish, I perish. Now that is showing that the will of God needed to be done. Why was Esther queen? In her dream of dreams, when she was a little girl, playing outside the castle of Shushan, where did she ever get the idea that she would one day be the queen of this great nation? But now since these events have taken place, if it's the will of God and she's put there for this purpose at this time and this appointment, make sure she uses it as God had offered. Or as Mordecai said, who knoweth? whether thou art come to the kingdom for such a time as this. A lot of times we have an opportunity. And if we keep our mouth closed, if we don't open the door of our hearts in faith and preach the message of the God of heaven, how do you know that for this purpose or for this reason, this friendship, this business arrangement, this agreement that you have might be the very reason that these circumstances or situations came about in your life. Always remain open to the possibility that the Lord's will will be the difference and strike out on faith and do what God has commanded and pray, not my will, but thine be done. We can only be certain that the things pertaining to God's revealed will in the scriptures will be those things which we must preach and teach. And what God does with the results of our preaching and teaching is what he determines. He told Isaiah, my word will not return unto be a void, but will accomplish the purpose whereunto I send it. 
So in everything, as we live the life that God has commanded, make sure that we live with our confidence and our trust and our faith in God. And as we have opportunity to do good unto all men, do that good. Paul writes to the Hebrew, I mean the Romans brethren in Romans 12, especially they to the household of faith. Then we have the story of Joseph. I don't know anybody that could ever read the story of Joseph and not understand the providence of God. Joseph was the fair-haired boy. He was the one that received the coat of many colors. He was his father's favorite son. He was such a favorite that his other brothers hated him. And Joseph had a dream. And then he had another dream. And in one dream, he was the sheaves of the ears of corn. And the other sheaves around him had to fall down and worship him. And Joseph, so excited about the story that he had to tell, went and told not only his brethren, but his mother and father of this story. And they said, do you think we have to fall down to worship you? Who are you? You really have gotten caught up in this head game that you have possessed because of the way that Jacob sees you. And then there was another dream that Jacob, I mean, that Joseph had. And in this second dream, if you want to turn over to the book of Genesis, the 39th chapter, it was even worse. In the next dream, Joseph had the temerity to come and tell him and his father and his mother that they had to fall down and worship him. And so, as it was true that Joseph told this dream, his father chastised him and put him in a position to where he was represent, uh, uh, chastised for all the things that he did. And then not too long ago or too much later, Joseph was sent by his father, and his father was uh, sent him, not German, uh, Genesis 39, 37, but as he was sent there, his brothers put him in a place to kill him. And Reuben, his older brother, actually saved his life and hid him. And in verse 8 of Genesis 37, the Bible says, And his brethren said to him, Shalt thou indeed reign over us? Or shalt thou indeed have dominion over us? And they hated him yet the more for his dreams. And in verse 9, he dreamed yet another dream. And told it his brethren and said, Behold, I have dreamed a dream more. And behold, the sun and the moon and the eleven stars made obeisance to me. And he told it to his father and to his brethren. And his father rebuked him and said unto him, What is this dream that thou hast dreamed? Shall I and thy mother and thy brethren indeed come to bow down ourselves to thee, to the earth? And his brethren envied him but his father observed the same. Now we take this boy right now who's hidden in a cave and the traders that are passing from Midian through to Egypt come by. And instead of letting him to be killed, Reuben thought it'd be a good idea to sell him. And when he sold him, they took him to Egypt and sold him to Potiphar. Potiphar was a wealthy man there 
And when he came into Potiphar's house, Potiphar saw that Joseph was one of like kindness and intelligence. And he resurrected him and put him to reign over his entire house. The only problem is Potiphar had a wife that thought she was every woman's desire, every man's desire. And when Potiphar's wife tried to get Joseph to be involved with her sexually, Joseph turned her down. And he said, I can't do this to God. Now, was there anything that would cause Joseph to be emboldened to think that God was blessing him? and providing for him with the circumstances he had been through. He lost his position in his home. He lost his position amongst his brethren. He lost his freedom and was sold as a slave. He was sent in as a slave to be a slave to a Gentile man. This Gentile man had a woman that desired him, and because that she desired him, she wanted to have sex with him, and he resisted her. And as he left her presence, she grabbed his underclothes and kept them as evidence that he'd been there. Joseph then was cast into prison. And as he was in prison, he had served the Lord there for a period of time. And as he was in prison, there were those that had dreams. And you've heard of all these stories. So Joseph explains the dreams of the dreamers in prison And he said, now, if these things come to pass that I've told you as the answer to your dream, when you become before Pharaoh, remember me. Who would have ever thought that this young boy, who would not have been destroyed in mind, who would not have just given up and cast out his uh, desire to serve God in despair, who had been thrown down to the bottom of the cesspool, basically, because he believed in God, would ever have been in a position to have saved his father and his mother and his brethren and all their children, and not only that, but saved the people through whom the Messiah would come to this world. Uh, You could put a whole lot on Joseph if you want to. But to think that a young 30 or 40-year-old man could have had this kind of brilliance, this kind of understanding that he was in the hand of God and that God was using him for his purpose and he had been taken from the place of grander and special position to now that he was a servant in prison a servant to those who were even servants of Pharaoh, and that one day he would be the greatest man, second only to Pharaoh in the kingdom of Egypt, is a far stretch in anybody's imagination. You have to leave the ultimate determination of the providence of God to God. We need not make sure that we try to make up a story to make it look like something that it is not. We can believe in God's providence without being able to interpret every circumstance. But we need to understand that the circumstance needs to be to where it's for our effect and our good that God has placed us in this position. And to make the story short, of course you know that the children of Israel came into Egypt and they were saved and that food was given them. And that they were blessed by God. 
And then one day Jacob died. And all the brothers of Joseph who had tried to kill him and treated him so harshly were now on the other end of the stick. It was Joseph's turn to hand out retribution. And so they came to him. In Genesis, the 50th chapter and the 17th verse, and said, So shall ye say unto Joseph, Forgive, I pray thee now, the trespass of thy brethren and their sin. For they did unto thee evil. And now we pray thee, forgive the trespass of the servants of God, of thy father. And Joseph wept when they spake unto him. And his brethren also went and fell down before his face. And they said, Behold, we be thy servants. Remember the dream? Remember the sun, moon, and stars? Remember the sheaves and how they all fell down before him to worship him? It says his brethren also went and fell down before his face. And they said, Behold, we be thy servants. And Joseph said unto them, Fear not, for I am not in the place of God. Now look here, verse 20. But as for you, you thought evil against me. But God meant it unto good to bring to pass as it is this day to save much people alive. Now, therefore, fear ye not. I will nourish you and your little ones and be comforted. And, be, and, and, and he comforted them and spoke, spoke kindly unto them. How did Joseph ever come up with the consensus of opinion that all that he'd ever been through was a blessing of God. How did Job ever come up with the consensus of opinion that these trials and tribulations were not from God, but he was allowed by God to be tested and tried by Satan and the end would be greater blessed than before? How did Esther, who was the little girl that was raised outside the Shushan Palace, ever come up to the conclusion that all she'd been through and the one woman chosen out of all the kingdom to be the queen was put in that place so she could save her people and the Messiah could come through the nation of Israel. The answer is true and simple. God's providential working was for their ultimate good. If there's nothing else you remember, you understand that each of these had the attitude that Christ told us to possess as his children. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and all his righteousness. Now, this is easy preaching. And there's a lot of people say, well, you've not gone through these problems, so you'll know and experience them yourself. And because you've not experienced them, you can just talk about these things instead of having lived. But when everything in the world that you've tried to do is turning against you, when all the rules and regulations that you've followed and have been servants of God seem to have not done the, world, the, wor the, the work that needed to be done, and when there's no hope in sight and all your friends and everything else have come against you, the only one you can turn to is God. And see if it is for the will of God as a blessing to you and those whom you love that these things providentially have come your way. And know 
that Solomon was right when this mirth that you can have in your heart will override all the sadness and wickedness and evil that man may bring against you because of the joy that God has used you and placed you in this position at this time. Can you fully appreciate the providence of God? So if you're here and you're going through trouble and problems and you wonder why me or why is it happening or what's going on that I'm going through these problems, if it's God's will and it's for a blessing that you can't see and if it's to allow you to be a better and a greater servant of God, enter these places with joy and mirth knowing that it is God's will and that you will be and I will be blessed in the end with all the joy that God ever meant for us to have as his children. And then we've understood the providence of God. If you're here and need to respond to the invitation, Jesus said, He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. He that believeth not shall be damned. Will you come as we stand and sing? As we continue to grow the church and carry the legacy of Joe David Wilson, in this next segment, you will hear sermons from the current preachers here at the Port St. Lucie Church of Christ. Let's return to our study about tongues and the people at Corinth and those things which were promised in the 12th chapter of 1 Corinthians. That these manifestations of this Holy Ghost, the Spirit dwelling within these people and exercising its power, was to influence them and convince the non-believer that there was much to be advantaged from the religion of uh, the Messiah that had been promised and had come over above the religions that they practiced and believed in. There were many soothsayers, naysayers, profiteers, those that uh, prophesied many things, and even prophecy within the Christian church at Corinth was difficult because there was no way to prove whether the person that was prophesying was, was that what he was prophesying was true or not. So Paul begins to put conditions on those on those things, and he begins to help people understand one thing is that no one that's speaking in, uh, of the Spirit and is a child of God can call Christ a curse. We learned that in chapter 12. And we have the opportunity that the word tongues used in the New Testament is unfortunate because that's the tongues, the translator, that's the word the translators agreed to use. Because it does not convey the true meaning of the exchange of God's purpose. And the idea and the transfer and the maturity of his children. Uh, the word tongues is unfortunate. The Greek word is languages. And we're going to find that tonight. We're going to discover that because in 1 Corinthians 14, 19, we're going to examine that and take a look at that. Paul says, though I speak 10,000 words in an unknown tongue, I would rather speak five words that are understood. Yet in the church I have rather speak five words with my understanding, that by my voice I might teach others also, than 10,000 words in an unknown tongue. Now the tongue waggers today and teachers today want to project themselves as prophesying, uh, speaking in a tongue that is unknown, not having anything to understand and do with whatever the purpose of the original tongue's uh, gift was. And Paul says, you know, 
If the church I had rather speak five words. Now, if Paul is saying that, he's trying to de-emphasize this idea of tongues being something special. They were special in the church at Corinth because they needed that in order to convince people that the religion that Paul brought and taught uh, was better than the religious philosophy they were practicing at the time. You know, to, to show a practice or a religion or an effort that goes far and above what you've experienced and what you have knowledge of teaches us and tells us that there was a new day ahead, a great day coming. Paul taught them the things that he was aware of, that he knew of. He dealt with those things personally between the people that lived there. And they dealt, and he dealt with these problems up front. Now, chapter 14 of 1 Corinthians really is, could be called the chapter of tongues. And follow after charity and desire spiritual gifts, but rather that ye may prophesy. This is chapter 14, verse 1. For he that speaketh in an unknown tongue speaketh not unto men, but unto God. For no man understandeth him, howbeit in the Spirit he speaketh mysteries. But he that prophesieth speaketh unto men to edification and exhortation and comfort. Verse 4. He that speaketh in an unknown tongue edifieth himself, but he that prophesieth edifieth the church. The whole purpose of this whole thing was to, for conversion of the non-believer. Verse 5 says, I would that you speak with tongues, but rather that you prophesy. For greater is he that prophesieth than he that speaketh with tongues, except he interpret that the church may receive the edifying. I told you last time we were going to get to a point where Paul had put these people and himself in a position where there was going to be, they were going to eliminate this confusion of all these people rattling off things that didn't make sense and didn't, no one could understand. He now accepts that uh, you need accept uh, he interpret that the church be received edifying. Now, brethren, verse six, I come unto you speaking with tongues. What shall I what shall I profit you except I shall speak to you either by revelation or by knowledge or by prophesying or by doctrine? He's asking the question: How is it he's supposed to uh, communicate with you? He's trying to downplay to these Corinthians this idea of speaking in tongues. He's trying to say the prophecy and many of these other gifts that they were given were just as important. One's not more important than the other. When you get into these Pentecostal churches where they go through these gyrations, speaking in tongues and uh, having bodily uh, uh, reverberations and falling in the floor and going through all these other things, that there is nothing there that profits the gospel of Jesus Christ. But in Corinth, he's telling them, you need an interpreter. Either by revelation, if he speaks to you, or by knowledge, or by prophesying, or by doctrine. He's named three or four other things here that are just important as speaking in tongues. This thing had gotten so out of hand that it was almost uncontrollable. These people were trying to outdo each other, prophesying and speaking in tongues and saying things that they couldn't prove and wouldn't prove and had no intention of proving simply to get the intention for people to think they were something more than what they were. They were blaspheming. They were taking these gifts and they were projecting themselves. And I honestly, from my understanding, 
don't think they had the gift of tongues to start with. I think they were people that came into the church that uh, saw this thing just like Apollos tried to buy the gifts that the apostles had. Uh, you know, and he was prayed for and they asked, they asked that he uh, give this thing up. But his intention was to make money. He cared not about the gifts or the people that, that the gifts uh, were, were bestowed upon. He wanted the gifts of what they had. Uh, he had seen Paul and some of the, some of the apostles teach and learn. So 14.19 tells us again, Yet in the church I had speak, rather speak five words with my understanding. Now when you tell this to the Pentecostals, they, they either don't read this or they tore this out of their Bible or it doesn't exist. But Paul says the guy that they take credit for passing on these uh, spiritual gifts to the people of Corneth, the guy they give the credit to doing that says, I'd rather speak five words of my understanding. That by voice I might teach others also. That's the purpose of the understanding is to teach others. Then 10,000 words in an unknown tongue. If you read that to a Pentecostal today, you would be absolutely wasting your time. They don't want to hear that, even though it comes from the, uh, the teaching at Corinth where they get their tongue speaking and their supposed transfer of gifts of the first century church to today's church. They claim that there's nothing that says that that stuff ever stopped. Well, Paul himself said that. Where there are prophecies, they shall cease. Where there are tongues, they shall cease. Notifying those that are there that this isn't something that's going to last forever. Probably ceased in his lifetime. When the apostles laid hands on the next generation, there's no recording of any kind in the scriptures that those people passed those gifts on by laying hands on other people just didn't happen. So you can argue this about the, the way they uh, project themselves, but there's not much you can do about it. They're already uh, twisted and convinced that talking in tongues and speaking in tongues is a manifestation, is a physical manifestation that you have the Holy Spirit. It is not. I'm sorry, it is not. Now 1 Corinthians 14.21 And the law is written with men and of other tongues and other lips, I will speak unto this people. Now this this is prophesied and given. I will speak unto this people, and yet for all that will they not hear me, saith the Lord. Wherefore tongues are for a sign not to them that believe, but to them that believe not. So this uh, Sunday morning gyration that these people go through is for absolutely, there's no fruit in it. His servant is sent. There was nothing that the husbandman or the or the master of the area or the the uh, preacher or him who's teaching these things. There's no fruit in it. There's no fruit to give. The servant Jesus Christ couldn't come there and receive anything. But to them that believe not, but prophesying serveth not for them that believe not but for them which believe. Now, the prophesying is for the believer. But the speaking in tongues is for those that don't believe. It's kind of hard to separate those two, but that's what you have to do. We're going to move on to uh, Acts 2, 3, and 4. 
hopefully we're going to be able to get to a point where we can collectively understand what's going on here. Acts 2, verses 3 and 4. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues, which as of fire, and it set upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost, and began to speak with other tongues, and the Spirit which gave them utterance. Cloven tongues, parting asunder, to break apart or to separate by violence. So unless the tongue waggers can prove they've been separated by violence from their normal tongue, guess what? The other 35 times tongues is used in the New Testament, it is 1100. Uh, Strong's 1100 means an organ of the body. Uh, So a separated tongue is not of the body. It's not physical. We hear another tongue, but the Spirit causes us to understand we hear the spiritual message. I don't know what else to say. It's bound in the hearing. It's meant that way. 2.8 says this, And how hear we every man his own tongue wherein we were born? The miracle is in the hearing. That's God's purpose. That's what the intention is. That's why these gifts were given. We're going to go back to 1 Corinthians 12.10. We're going to read again. 1 Corinthians 12.10 says this, To another, the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another discerning the spirits, and to another, diverse kinds of tongues, and to another, interpretation of tongues. If you don't have the interpreter, this is nothing but vain uh, jabbering. It makes no sense. It converts no one. It has no effect on man's soul. 14.28 says this. But if there be no interpreter, let him keep silent in the church and let him speak to himself and to God. Paul put the requirement of an interpreter upon these people because it had gotten so far out of hand. It had been so confused and so uh, disoriented and was so confusing to those that he was trying to convert and teach the gospel to that this thing with tongues had gotten completely out of control. So we're going to close with our study on tongues. Hopefully we've been able to cover and register and qualify those things which might clear uh, some confusion up in your mind and heart. The gifts that were given at Corinth and the speaking in tongues was for a time period and for that specific person, place, and thing. It wasn't carried into the church today. It wasn't meant to be carried into the church today. So our purpose again is to bring the truth of the word to you. Our prayer is that these words of knowledge and encouragement will enter your heart and you will become a child of God. Mark 16.16 tells us, He that is baptized shall be saved, and he that is not shall be damned. If you enjoyed today's sermon, Read our regularly updated blog for insightful articles by visiting us online at pslchurchofchrist.com. If you would like to watch previous sermons, they can be viewed on our YouTube channel at youtube.com forward slash pslchurchofchrist. Connect with us on Facebook at facebook.com slash pslchurchofchrist. Or if you prefer to visit us in person to learn more on Sunday morning at 9.30 a.m. and 6 p.m., 
as well as Wednesdays at 7.30 p.m. And you can visit us at 384 East Midway Road next to Walgreens. See you next week.